episode of the future socks roundup my name is mike rankin i'm your host alongside elijah evans elijah is working hard if you haven't noticed all over the place here on the podcast you can see that he's working on interviews player interviews of white Sox prospects we're going to talk about that today on the episode we're also going to give you an update on the arizona fall league performers from certain chicago white Sox prospects that we're obviously keeping an eye on as well as like anticipating hopefully getting an opportunity to participate in 2024 big league um, White Sox uniform. So that'll be a lot of fun to allow our optimism to reign here on the episode. But here's what I want to do first, Elijah, as we welcome you in. Of course, follow Elijah on Twitter at ElijahEV8 and myself, Rankin906, and at Future Sox. We are a part of the Broadcast Basement Network. Thanks to Chris Lanuti for hosting us. We're working really hard to provide you content throughout the offseason and into 2024, focusing on the Chicago White Sox mini rebuild, maybe a transition period, whatever you want to call it. We're calling it an opportunity to watch young prospects develop into professional big league contributors. And that's what we're excited about. And we're going to talk about that today. But before we do that, I'd like to bring up this year's World Series matchup. It is the Texas Rangers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Arizona Diamondbacks were long shots to begin the year, not projected to make the playoffs. The Texas Rangers, meanwhile, spending all this money, and they win, defeating the Houston Astros, winning Game 7 in Houston. I, as a fan, it brought the little kid out of me watching both championship series, Game 7, Game 7. I loved it. And technically, I guess you can consider each underdog's. Phillies go down, Astros go down. It's Diamondbacks, Rangers. Elijah, I know you've been a huge fan of the Arizona Diamondbacks. What's your opinion about the matchup, and how are you feeling about your D-backs? Man, uh, you know, some people are going to see this matchup, and they're going to look at it as a boring matchup in teams that shouldn't make it. And I've seen plenty of people talking about this whole playoff format and all this stuff. I am so here for it, Mike. I absolutely love it. I'm enjoying every minute of this postseason. Um, the Diamondbacks have been a team that I was on, you know, from from spring training, actually, honestly, not to toot my own horn too much, but I, I saw them in spring training and the way I watched that roster develop over the last year or two, knowing Corbin Carroll was going to be kind of their leader and some of the pieces they've kind of put around him. I, I thought that team was, was bound to make a mark this year. I had no idea they were going to do this type of thing and make it to the World Series, but that team is so fun. They are everything that I wanted the White Sox to be a few years ago, truly. Uh, for White Sox fans listening to this, it sucks. I get it. That was supposed to be the vision. It really was. It, it's a few core guys. It's a core of superstars, young superstars. And it's a lot of other pieces around that hustle. They play defense. They run a lot. They're Gutsy bullpen pitchers are just making it happen. They've got two aces leading the charge with Brandon Fott, you know, as a guy who was a top prospect, right, coming into the year. Really struggled this season. He couldn't establish anything aside from his fastball in his rookie season. Uh, you know, a guy who was, was supposed to be really a piece of the long-term future for the Diamondbacks coming into the year. After the regular season, it was like, oh, man, is this guy really going to even be a major leaguer long-term? Because he just could not figure it out. But they trusted him. They sent Fott to the mound in the wild program where he really struggled. And then at that point, it was like, where do you even turn? Because they have Gallon, they have Kelly. They go right back to Fott. He mows down the Dodgers, proceeds to mow down the Phillies twice, not once, but twice against one of the best offenses in baseball. 
it's just so many Gabby Moreno is another guy who's, uh, you know, a catcher that was just kind of, it was banged up throughout the year. He kept getting hurt. He started looking good towards the second half of the season. It's just exploded in the playoffs. Corbin Carroll's special. Cattell Marte has been one of the more underrated players over a long time. That team is just so fun. So exciting to watch. And on the other side, it's the same thing. The Texas Rangers are awesome too. It's it's really fun baseball, and it's great to have some new blood just taking over the postseason. You know, the Rangers are, are riding the backs of two aces with Montgomery and Eovaldi, who have just been phenomenal all postseason, just shoving. And then you've got a lineup filled with, you know, a balance of veterans and, and youngsters, right? You've got Corey Seager, who's one of the best hitters in baseball, and Marcus Simeon and Adoles Garcia. And then you've got young superstars like Evan Carter and Josh Young, who have just made themselves you know, known to everybody in the playoffs. It's just been, it's been a great ride for both these teams. And I think it is really refreshing to me to see two teams that we haven't seen in a while, you know, make all these deep runs and one of them is going to come home with a World Series. And I think that's what fans are looking for. At least enjoy more often than not is seeing parody. You don't want to see the same teams dominate. I mean, the Houston Astros, what is that? Seven consecutive championship series that they've uh, gotten into. So it's nice to see them go down. And obviously, you know, for the whole scandals that they've been a part of. Also, uh, shout out Alec Thomas right under the White Sox nose throughout his young oh, yeah. life. And then, yeah, of course, now he's like awesome <laughs> participating in a World Series, playing a key role in that Diamondbacks uh, organization. So uh, when you think about the way that the White Sox are trying to go about their business, I, I like what you mentioned, uh, Elijah, about you know the vision of the Diamondbacks and the way they executed it, right? They had a core, and then at the deadline, they went for it. They acquired some pieces to put it together. And I'm just wondering how close the White Sox are to even consider buying at the deadline again. And we'll, we'll I'm sure, revisit this conversation very soon when it comes to the Future Sox podcast, which you can listen to every Tuesday and Friday, as well as Elijah's interviews that release on Monday with Prospects, we today want to focus on some of the core guys that are participating in the Arizona Fall League. And it's important to mention that players such as Colson Montgomery, a player like Jake Eater, Jacob Burke, you know, Jacob Burke's a little bit of an anomaly because he's doing it after his first full professional season, but it's an aggressive assignment because I think the White Sox believe in the skill set and the White Sox believe in what Jacob Burke can become and handle every level that they assign him to, which he's done so far throughout his professional career. Colson Montgomery, meanwhile, I think there's an anticipation that we could absolutely see him participate at 35th and Shields in 2024. And he's got to play in the Arizona Fall League because he's not going to have the opportunity if he's already in the big league. So timing matters and it's important Jake Eater, meanwhile, has had a very rocky season, got started late, overcame two serious injuries. And, you know, after his debut first full professional season where he dominated in double A, it was a very aggressive assignment in Miami. He hit uh, this is this is definitely a bump in the road for him in his career. However, Elijah, we're not giving up on him. Obviously, I don't think anybody should give up on him. I think we should allow the, the context to speak for itself because it's important, but also recognize the fact that, yes, he is you know, trying to overcome some challenges right now, and that includes his performances in the Arizona Fall League. What can you tell us about Jake Eater this season competing in Arizona? Yeah, it's hard with Eater. Like you just mentioned, it's important to know the context, and it's important to look at things and say, you know, this is a guy who – has dealt with a lot of issues. The Tommy John and the foot injury and everything that he's gone through this year does not make it easy to focus on your pitching. It's not just that he is physically ailing and trying to get his body in shape. 
you're trying to execute pitches and executing your pitches when your body isn't set is really, really difficult. So like we've said before, and like you just said, I, I don't want to put too much stock into Eater's season and I don't want to look at him as a failed prospect and, and whatever, anything like that, because you need to give him time. And there's a reason he said in Arizona right now is to get his body right, to work on that lower half, get everything working properly. And then from there, when his body's feeling right, then you can start adjusting your pitches, working on your movements and your locations and all that different stuff. It's been up and down for Eater in the fall league. Um, I think he had a he had a really nice start about two weeks ago where he he really looked comfortable. His start since then was a little bit shaky. Um, you know, it's it's been up and down for sure. The strikeouts are there at times. He's had some nice strikeouts, especially that slider that used to be kind of his bread and butter pitch. He's had a few moments where the sliders looked really good. It's still a little inconsistent. The walk rate is definitely higher than you'd like to see um, in Arizona right now. But at the same time, this is, like we said, this is a guy who's working his way back, and he looks healthy. He's making his starts. He has the third most amount of innings on the, the Desert Dogs, you know, Arizona roster, right? So he's getting innings in, which is important, and that is the reason he's there. The amount of hits and walks he's allowing is a little high. 1.7 whip is a little bit concerning. Um, and I think for him, it's just it's still just a lack of that consistent command. It's, it seems to me that when I've watched him pitch, there's been some moments where he's just losing sight of the, you know, his, his locations. And then he ends up kind of leaving some of the middle that gets hit or he ends up walking, you know, two, three guys in an inning. And then that, that leads to trouble no matter what you're doing. So it's been up and down for eater, but I do think the biggest factor is that he's made four starts already. He's made four starts in October. He's probably going to make at least two more, if my math is right here, um, in the Arizona Fall League. So that's six starts, you know, that he that he needs. He needs these innings. He needs the time to get right and to work on the mound to really develop his pitching now that his body is in a good place. And it looks to me like he's healthy and like he feels comfortable on the mound. And now it's just about kind of refinding that 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 command and the movements and everything that made him such an impressive prospect two years ago. And it, it's in there. It's in there, and I have hope for it. And even if the numbers don't look great in Arizona, him getting six starts in the fall league is a massive step to building next year and making next year a really good year for him. Yeah, you mentioned the strikeouts for Eater, 14 and 12 and a third through his four starts so far in the AFL. He's allowed 13 hits, seven earned, but two home runs allowed and eight walks. So obviously there's inconsistencies and stuff that you want to see get better. The 2021 season for Eater, now we just have to reiterate, in his first full professional season, he obviously pitched in the SEC, but it was assigned to double A and threw 71 and a third innings. That's a sub two ERA for him. That is something that the White Sox recognize as well as this, just the, the frame and the mechanics and all of that that makes him a good pitcher, the repertoire. So we need some patience here as a fan base, recognizing what Eater went through and what he's trying to fix in a new organization in, we'll see what happens in the offseason, but he's 25 years old. This is a, a huge, huge offseason and obviously a very important 2024 for Jake Eater. And this is the first step in getting back on track and competing in the Arizona Fall League against the game's best prospects. Now, speaking of the game's best prospects, let's talk about one of them. He's on the Chicago White Sox, and that's Colson Montgomery. I watch Corey Seager throughout the entire postseason. Now he's playing in a World Series. I can't get the image out of my head when I watch Corey Seager because I associate it with Colson Montgomery. I just can't help it. They look so similar and the body type and the swing habits. I say the swing habits because when you watch Corey Seager, it's as if 
he understands the strike zone better than most. And that's the reports that we're getting from many who have watched Colson Montgomery compete as a professional to this point of his career. And I know you've watched more AFL action than I have. That trend has continued. Curious to know how you feel about uh, the way he's moving as well as how he is approaching the AFL. Yeah, so it's interesting with Montgomery because he, he started really slow in Arizona and that was kind of a headline, you know, What's Coles, why is Coles and Montgomery struggling so much? And that was what a lot of people were talking about. But he settled in well. You know, he had that big two-game stretch where he had three home runs in two games. I think he's still generally been trying to do a little too much. You know, he's had a lot of attention on him in Arizona. He's one of the top few prospects, but I think he's the top-ranked prospect in the Arizona Fall League. So that comes with natural attention, and it comes with a lot of eyes on him. And I think that it's caused his approach to drift a little bit. Because like you were saying, when I watched him in this summer, you know, that's a guy who understands the strike zone and just where his pitches are and where he, what he can do at the plate, depending on the pitch, better than almost anybody in the minor leagues. At his best, his approach is 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 Corey Seager. Like you said, that's again, that's that's the ceiling, right? Corey Seager is a phenomenal player. He's going to finish top three in MVP voting. I think that's like very best case scenario for Montgomery. But with that said, you know we we've seen him be a great great hitter with a really sophisticated approach for a guy who's only twenty one years old, right? In Arizona, he's got, you know, two walks and 18 strikeouts. So that's really not him. The numbers don't look bad overall, right? And he's still, he's driving some power. He's starting to look more comfortable at the dish in general. Like he's been hitting really well the last week or two. He's still not quite in the Colson Montgomery rhythm. And I think a lot of that is the combination of missing some time this season and also just, just wanting to prove himself. But but trying, I mean, the, the, with the attention on him, I think he's been doing a little too much sometimes, which has caused the strikeout numbers to rise a little bit, and he's not walking nearly as much as he did. In addition to the fact that he's playing higher competition in some levels than he, than he has at any point, right? So I think it's been an adjustment for him, and he's doing a good job adjusting, and he continues to look better at the play. He's hitting better than he was, you know, in the first week of the Arizona Fall League. I'd really like to see that approach get back to what, you know, his best ability, because I know this is not a guy that I doubt the approach, right? I know his approach is great, and I'm not worried about the the two walks to 18 strikeouts long-term in any way. But I would really like to see in the next few weeks to him finish out his time in the Arizona Fall League with that approach starting to look more like it has when he was in Birmingham, because when he is really patient and he is smart and selective about his hitting, he can be one of the most dangerous hitters in the entire minor leagues. And that's why he's one of the top prospects in baseball. Additionally, he looks really comfortable at shortstop. That's a thing that is is important to note here. His movement looks smooth. He's been a little bit rangier in the last few times I've watched him play than I think he was, you know, last year, I think there was talks of him being, a third baseman long-term potentially because he's a bigger guy and he wasn't quite the most rangy. He looks a little more comfortable in his movements at shortstop. The arm is there. Uh, just got to continue to focus on that that accuracy when he's making you know cross-body throws, some harder throws. He gets a little bit off in his throw accuracy, but the, the, the body's there, the movement's there. He looks comfortable as a shortstop and an everyday shortstop that we expect to take over that position in Chicago. So a lot of good signs. I think there's still some work to be done with him. And I think he had a few games that kind of boosted his stats a little bit higher than they really reflect but with that said there's a lot of signs that show that this is a guy who we expect really big things from in Chicago I think that is a very very fair assessment of something that is happening uh, that not many people I guess are paying attention to right is the this timeline for a top prospect in baseball with expectations started midseason and remember spent time as part of Project Birmingham in 2022 
and in 2023 got a shot in double a birmingham took a minute to get adjusted but when he got adjusted he was great now he's facing an even higher level of competition in the afl and we're seeing some struggles as elijah so dutifully mentioned and i think it's also important to recognize that somebody like colson montgomery when you talk about his defense is maybe the concerns were his range or his first step the quickness the athleticism is he flexible enough with his size those are kind of questions that have been answered to in my opinion this year because he has grown into a frame that looks like a major league baseball player he has proven right to get to the balls that shortstops are expected to make plays on and what you mentioned about his arm is something that was echoed by a guest previously on the future Sox podcast Ian Eskridge, who has watched a lot of White Sox prospects of White Sox Daily, and he said the same thing. It's the arm. So when it when it comes to covering Colson Montgomery, of course, Elijah, like we're spinning it in a positive way. It was very well described in terms of just providing context. We're continuing to do that. Now, I don't think we have to go too far to provide some context for Jacob Burke. He just flat out balls out when he's on the field. He looks like an athletic center fielder. We know that he's flashing plays all over social media. Uh, look, I don't know how you feel about batting averages. I think it is still a good indicator in evaluating a player based on just the player's skill set and the type of player they are. Obviously, doesn't really apply for power hitters strictly, but I still value looking at batting averages. Jacob Burke will hit for a high average. And that is, I think, something that is a little bit underrated in his game. He doesn't make a lot of outs. And I feel like that's a testament to how advanced he is already as a prospect through a year and a half in, in the White Sox organization. Yeah, I uh, I personally am fairly anti-batting average compared to normal people, but it doesn't mean that's not an important thing to note when you look at Burke as a guy who consistently just hits the ball and has good contact skills. I think he's been a little bit out of his... It, what's impressive with Burke is this is a guy who only played up to high A this year, right? He, he was drafted last year. He played the majority of the season in high A this season, and he's keeping up. He's You you see a little bit more of the contact skills getting exposed at this level because he's facing pitchers that are at a higher level than he ever has. So the strikeout rate has gone up a lot for him in Arizona, marginally, compared to like what he was doing in the regular season. But with that said, he's still, you know, he's still drawing some walks. He's still getting on base. You know, he's driving the ball in gaps. He's stealing. He has four stolen bases, right? He's been great in center field and just a pro player. I think I think Burke is he's just a hardworking professional baseball player. And that's that I know that sounds so generic, but I really mean it when I say that about him because he just continues to do a lot of the little things the right way. And that's something that we lack in Chicago and have wanted out of a lot of our players in recent years. So it's fun to see Burke in Arizona, even while he's getting, you know, he's, he's struggling at times against harder pitching. His strikeout numbers are way higher than he would like. And his contact has decreased a little bit compared to what we got used to seeing from him in the regular season, but he's still finding ways to impact the game. And that's just the type of player he is. He's going to get up. He's going to find a way to get on base. He's going to hustle out a play. He's going to steal a bag. He's going to make a play in center field. That's just what he does. He, you know, it's just a lot of things to like with him. And I think he's at a level right now, like, like I'm saying, you know, he, he's being pushed further than he probably needs to be right now, but it's because the White Sox are getting ready to kind of to, to move him quickly through the system because he's been, he's proven he can, and he's proven he it was too good to be playing in high A, frankly. So I think this, this fall league is really just getting him prepped to be a double A player next year. Cause I expect him to be, Birmingham Baron for much of next season 
Um, and I think he's a guy who we could even, you know, maybe see in Charlotte by the end of the year uh, if he continues to hit the way he did this past season. And I'm just a, uh, I'm just excited to keep watching him because I, I love players that do a lot of these little things and having somebody that you know is a great center fielder, you know is fast, you know has some all these skill sets, right? That that raises the floor for him so much to be a player that we at least know is going to be solid, right? Like he might not be a superstar. I'm not sure his bat has, you know, a top level impact in it, but he does so many different things to impact the game and he's getting pushed pushed right now and he's still doing a decent job he still has an ops over 700 like he's been at the least an average hitter against competition that's higher than he's ever faced so i'm very excited about burke i think he's just a great well-rounded player to keep an eye on in terms of character and what he does on the field you want players like him on your baseball team the team that you're rooting for he just kind of helps the rest of the guys have success based on the way he performs and sets things up or makes plays in the outfield and sets things up at the plate, uh, gets on base, causes, you know, issues with opposing pitchers, all of that stuff. He's just a pro ball player. I love saying that about a White Sox prospect. And you also said something too, that I, I, I think is an important point. The White Sox are testing these prospects so often as I guess across just in recent memory, since 2016, the White Sox were rather conservative with a lot of their prospects, trying to time up everybody to get them all together at once and, and make a run at things to really solidify them. There's no stone left unturned in the minor leagues before they decided it was time to implement their plan. And obviously we're here heading into 2024. It's a little bit different. Chris gets at the helm, has watched a lot of these prospects, all of these prospects develop under his watch, and we want to see them have success. But it's a little different now because they're being tested. And the way that they're responding is important to note, and we're covering it all. I think, too, when we're talking about these prospects, it's important to learn about their character. And Elijah Evans has been talking to a lot of these prospects, and so many of them have been drafted by Mike Shirley, the director of amateur scouting. And One of the things that Shirley highlights is when he speaks to these players one-on-one, it's important for him to learn about the mindset. And you can learn about the mindset yourself. If you listen to the Future Sox podcast, go to our feed, wherever you get your podcasts, and scroll. If it's on Spotify, iTunes, or I guess it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, go to podbeanfuturesox.com. These interviews are available for you. There's so many lined up already that aren't going to be released by the time this episode is up, but they will be in weeks to come. Just to name a few, Jonathan Cannon, Nick Mistrini, DJ Gladney, Tristan Stevers. Really excited for you to listen to those interviews, but those in the past as well. I really enjoyed your conversation with Michael Turner, Elijah, because he was talking about the differences between his father and himself. His father was a slugging pull-happy power hitter, while Michael Turner goes the other way in terms of just his baseline approach. He looks up the middle the other way, and he has proven. So, you know, he's an older prospect participating in a lower level of competition, but had so much success in his first year, first first full season, that it just leaves me excited. And to learn more about these players, it adds even context, maybe the theme today on the roundup, but I think it adds much more to our opinions uh, and our evaluations of how we can grade these guys as they try to become major league players. And I want to give Elijah the highlight because, and the spotlight, because he's working, he is reaching out to these players. They're willing to speak to him and they are 
speaking to him, specifically Nick Nestrini. I know Elijah has a lot to say about that interview. Seth Keener's another one. Learned a lot about his game and the way he's transitioned from bullpen to full-time pitcher. So much value in these conversations. So Elijah, take it away. What are you learning when you speak to these players and understanding what they're about as they are sort of competing together uh, in whatever it is? It may be high A or in the double A ranks. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mike. And I, and I really like what you said about giving context to players and who they are. I am somebody who, who loves the numbers and I love watching guys and analyzing based on performance, right? But there's more to it. Athletes are human beings and they have their own life path and their journeys and the way they think about the game and the way they strategize. And there's so many elements that go into being a good baseball player. It's not the same as other sports. Baseball is incredibly cerebral and being able to talk to players directly and share that with all of you listening is is awesome to me. And it's, it's made my last few months, honestly, because I really think there is so much value in actually hearing the way that guys think on the field, off the field, all of that. That, that factors in whether people want it to or not. That factors into the way that I look at prospects. It, it has to. You can't just judge something on the field and by the numbers. There's so much more to players than what you can see from looking at the box score and saying that guy went two for four with a home run. There's way more in there. And all these players are super interested in sharing that. And what's been incredible to me to hear is that there's just this united energy with all these players. If you listen to a lot of these guys, especially some of these pitchers I've been talking to recently, you can check out Jordan Leisure, which already came out. As Mike mentioned, Nick Mastrini's coming, Jonathan Cannon's coming. There's a lot of pitchers I've been able to talk to. And the pitching front is like every single one of them has told me, you know, like I'm learning from the rest of these guys. There's a good group of talent in this organization, and a lot of people want players learn from each other they feed off each other and they're working together to build something special and that is the root of a good organization and i know people have spent time being frustrated by the white Sox organization and the development of prospects right now i can tell you from firsthand experience a lot of the prospects in the system are working together and they're having fun together and they're learning together and that is the first step of building a winning culture and building a winning future for this organization so it's just been a really cool experience for me. And I really encourage anybody to listen to these. If you just want to even just, just to feel the energy of a player and to get who they are as a person, you can't do that by watching them only on the mound or at the plate. And I've just, I've got this sense that there is just a collective determination to be good and to make this organization succeed more than it has in the past few years, because it hasn't been very successful, but all of these guys I've been talking to all they want to do is succeed and all they want to do is win. And it's really exciting to hear their perspective and just to get their input on everything. And then, and then the other aspect of it, right, is just talking baseball. Uh, like Mike mentioned, Nick Nestrini is coming out in a few weeks. I, I just talked pitching with him for a long time. And there's other guys who had elements of that as well in their interviews where like it, they, they love baseball as much as I love baseball, as much as anybody who loves baseball, right? They're not, they don't just play the sport. They love the sport. And hearing that type of passion and the way that players think through things and they watch other players and they're, they're looking at the way the pitch is moving and the, the command and the pitch selection and they're thinking through in their at-bats, you know, what is this guy going to do based on what I've seen from him in the past? There, there are so many layers to being a baseball player and hearing it directly from these players is the coolest thing ever for me. And I hope it is for everybody else that listens because 
there's no better way to learn who these guys are on and off the field than hearing it from them in these short interviews. We cover Chicago White Sox prospects, so forgive us for being so optimistic because it's the future. It's the way good organizations operate. They develop from within. They identify players within their organization, and they build on their skill set, and they also try to fix the deficiencies. This is something that I've been waiting for for the White Sox, and I thought it was on the right track in 16. Unfortunately, the farm system had to take a sharp reset after their core prospects graduated because it had been barren prior to 2016. Just flat out, the White Sox had a specific way going about filling their roster through free agency, although they didn't spend big money into free agents. And they, well, Rick Hunt said it himself, they were mired in mediocrity for a long time. And now the White Sox are going about it in a different light. And yes, it's Chris Getz who has been under Jerry's watch, of course, and been a part of this thing. He, he's been, unfortunately, hit with the blame of not developing a lot of these players under his watch. But again, context, with the sharp reset and the way that Mike Shirley and the, the rest of the organization has put together a improving, not good, right? Like I would say overall, if you're looking at the results of the 2023 season, in terms of wins, for every affiliate in the organization, it was it was pretty disappointing overall outside of single A. Single A was pretty fun to follow. But again, single A is a result of these young players entering the organization in recent years taking shape. And it's important to mention that if you allow players to work through their struggles, you will give them a chance to succeed. And the White Sox are giving everybody their opportunity to succeed. Looking ahead to 2024, Spring training is going to be a fight. Players are going to compete for opening day roster. Now, I think realistically, several, if not all of those players competing for a 26-man spot won't make the team. But that's okay, because we know that they'll be working to make their debut in 2024 in a season that we anticipate to be focused on development. And I think it's so important to mention that time, time, time is so important. Patience and White Sox fans, I know you're sick of hearing it from us, but the reality of the situation is what it is. So that's where we're at as White Sox fans. And again, it's so fun to hear from these players that we anticipate to see in the big leagues before they get to that step. And that's all thanks to you, Elijah. I appreciate it. And it's, a, it's an honor to be able to do it. And I, I'm really fortunate that a lot of these players are, you know, want to talk and want to share things about themselves and share things about their play style and everything with fans. And that's just, it's another sign of just a group of young players who really want to win and they want to win with this organization and they want to show these fans that they are here to compete for the long haul. And, and that is just such a good thing to see. And like you said, there's going to be a lot of guys competing for roster spots this year. Multiple guys I've interviewed, you can hear, said, have said directly to me that they want to be on the roster in 2024 and that's their plan. And and it's realistic for a lot of these players. And I think it's just going to keep getting more exciting. And and like you just said, Mike, it, it, patience is, is important. I know it's hard. I, I get it. I've had many times of just wanting this team to succeed already and wanting to see the playoffs and all this stuff like, like Arizona is seeing right now and just wanting those results. And everybody wants those results, right? It takes time. But I, I am going to continue to operate on hope and on trust in the organization and the development going on right now, because I really do believe we're headed in the right direction. And 
All of us are going to get to watch the White Sox organization succeed sooner than later and headlined by a lot of these guys I've talked to who are just really hungry and they want to win and they like each other and they like playing for one another. And that is just, that that's what leads to success. And I, I think it's coming. Um, and I hope that everybody continues to enjoy all these interviews because I've got more hopefully coming soon. We've got a bunch lined up and I'm talking to some more guys soon. So we're, we should have a lot of different interviews throughout the whole off season and just, just learning about baseball and learning about the way that every single player individually thinks about baseball is, is so much fun. So I'm excited. I appreciate you, uh, you letting me talk about it a little, Mike, and I, I hope everybody's been enjoying everything. That's Elijah Evans. And boy, you know, look, yeah, we're super optimistic and overly positive, whatever. How often are you listening to White Sox podcasts and it's all negative, right? Or White Sox content, it's all negative. And I understand it is all negative, but here we are looking ahead to what could be. And that's how you got to operate as a fan, right? Because otherwise, what are you? Why why even bother? If you're just going to hate the team that you love, why bother? I know that the White Sox have kind of beaten you into submission as a fan over the However many years, I totally understand. We've all been through it. Outside of 2005, it's been, oh man, we know Jerry Reinsdorf isn't going to be the one to spend big money and go over the luxury tax and find a way to compile a roster to compete for a World Series year after year with these big name talents. So what's the next best thing? It's to build from within. And if you had a guy in Chris Getz who was operating and overseeing the operation in which you know you're banking on having success, who else is better? I sure hope that Chris Getz doesn't make me real sad in the near future, but we're gonna find out because that's what it is, and we gotta live in the optimism. Because why else would you be a fan? That's the whole point. For Elijah Evans, my name is Mike Rankin. We do this every week. We do it twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. This is the Future Sox Roundup. We talk Future Sox podcast with James Fox on Tuesdays. Elijah has player interviews released every Monday. Make sure you're subscribed. Leave us a comment. Email us, futuresocks at gmail.com with questions or comments. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week.